0: you are now in the sapphire planet the space race was a mid to late 20th century competition between the soviet union and the united states for supremacy in space exploration. Between the years 1957 and 1975, the Cold War rivalry between the two nations focused on attaining firsts in space exploration which were seen as necessary for national security and symbolic of technological and ideological superiority. The space race involved pioneering efforts to launch artificial satellites, suborbital and orbital human spaceflight around the earth. And piloted voyages to the moon. It effectively began with the Soviet launch of the Sputnik 1 artificial satellite on October 4, 1957, and concluded with the cooperative Apollo Soyuz test project Human. Flight mission in July of 1975. The Apollo-Soyuz test project came to symbolize detente, a partial easing of strain relations between the USSR and the US. The space race had its origins in the missile-based arms race that occurred just after the end of World War II, when both the Soviet Union and the United States captured advanced German rocket technology and personnel The space race sparked unprecedented increases in spending on education and peer research, which accelerated scientific advancements and led to beneficial spin-off technologies. An unforeseen effect was that the space race contributed to the birth of the environmental movement. The first color pictures of Earth taken from deep space were used as icons by the movement to imply that the planet was a fragile blue marble surrounded by the blackness of space. Some famous probes and missions of the space race include Sputnik 1, Explorer 1, Vostok 1, Mariner 2, Ranger 7, Luna 9, Alouette 1, Apollo 8, and Apollo 11. The space race can trace its origins to Nazi Germany beginning in the 1930s and continuing during World War II when Germany researched and built operational ballistic missiles. Starting in the early 1930s, German aerospace engineers experimented with liquid-fueled rockets with the goal that one day they would be capable of reaching high altitudes and traversing long distances. The head of the German Army's Ballistic Ammunitions Branch, Lieutenant Colonel Karl Emil Becker, gathered a small team of engineers that included Walter Dornenberger and Leo Zansen to figure out how to use rockets as long range artillery in order to get around the Treaty of Versailles ban on research and development of long range cannons. Werner von Braun. A young engineering prodigy was recruited by Becker and Dornberger to join their secret army program at Kummersdorf West in 1932. Von Braun had romantic dreams about conquering outer space with rockets. During the Second World War, General Dornberger was the military head of the Army's rocket program. Zansen became the commandant of the Pinmunundi Army Rocket Center and von Braun was the technical director of the ballistic missile program they would lead the team that built the Aggregate 4, or A-4, rocket, which became the first vehicle to reach outer space during its test flight program in 1942 and
1: 1943.
0: By 1943, Germany began mass-producing the A-4 as the Wörterntungswaffe 2, or Vengeance Weapon 2, or more commonly referred to as the V-2. This was a ballistic missile with a 320-kilometer or 200-mile range carrying a 1,100-kilogram or 2,500-pound warhead at 4,000 kilometers or 25 miles per hour. Its supersonic speed meant that there was no defense against it, and radar detection provided little warnings. Germany used the V2 to bombard southern England and parts of allied liberated Western Europe from 1944 until 1945. After the war, the V2 became the basis of early American and Soviet rocket designs. At the war's end, American, British, and Soviet scientific intelligence teams competed to capture Germany's rocket engineers along with the German rockets themselves and the design on which they were based. Each of the Allies captured a share of the available members of the German rocket team but the United States benefited the most with Operation Paperclip recruiting von Braun and most of his engineering team who later helped develop the American Missile and Space Exploration Program. The United States also acquired a large number of complete V-2 rockets. The German Rocket Center at Penumundi was located in the eastern part of Germany which became the Soviet Union Soviet zone of occupation on Stalin's orders the Soviet Union sent its best rocket engineers to this region to see what they could salvage for future weapon systems the Soviet rocket engineers were led by Sergei Korolev. He had been involved in space clubs and early Soviet rocket designs in the 1930s, but was arrested in 1938 during Joseph Stalin's Great Purge and imprisoned for six years in Siberia. After the war, he became the USSR's chief rocket and spacecraft engineer, essentially the Soviet's counterpart to Von Braun. His identity was kept a state secret throughout the Cold War and he was identified publicly only as the chief designer. In the West his name was only officially revealed when he died in 1966. After almost a year in the area around Penamunde, Soviet officials moved most of the captured German rocket specialists to Gorodomolaya Island on Lake Selger, about 240 kilometers or 150 miles northwest of Moscow. They were not allowed to participate in Soviet missile designs but were used as problem solving consultants to the Soviet engineers. They helped in the following areas. The creation of a Soviet version of the A-4. Work on organizational schemes research in improving the A-4 main engine, development of a 100-ton engine, assistance in the layout of plant production rooms, and preparation of rocket assembly using German components. With their help, particularly Helmut Rotrup's group, Korolev reversed-engineered the A-4 and built his own version of the rocket, the R-1, in 1948. Later, he developed his own distinct designs, though many of the designs were influenced by the Gotterups Group's G-4-R-10 design from 1949. The Germans were eventually repatriated in 1951, back to Germany. In America, von Braun and his team were sent to the United States Army's White Sands Proving Ground located in New Mexico in 1945. They set about assembling the captured V2s and began a program of launching them and instructing American engineers in their operation. These tests led to the first rockets to take photos from outer space and the first two-stage rocket, the WAC-Corporal V-2 combination, in 1949. The German rocket team was moved from Fort Bliss to the Army's new Redstone Arsenal located in Huntsville, Alabama in 1950. From here, Vron Braun, Braun and his team would develop the Army's first operational medium range ballistic missile, the Redstone rocket, that would, in slightly modified versions, launched both America's first satellite and the first piloted Mercury space missions. It became the basis for both the Jupiter and Saturn family of rockets. The Cold War, dated approximately 1947 through 1991, developed between two former allies, the Soviet Union and the United States, soon after the end of the Second World War. It involved a continuing state of political conflict, military tension, proxy wars, and economic competition, primarily between the Soviet Union and its satellite states, and the powers of the Western world, particularly the United States. Although the primary participants, military forces never clashed directly, they expressed this conflict through military coalitions, strategic conventional force deployment, extensive aid to states deemed vulnerable, proxy wars, espionage, propaganda, a nuclear arm race, and economic and technological competitions, such as the space race. In simple terms, the Cold War can be viewed as an expression of the ideological struggle between communism and capitalism. The United States faced a new uncertainty beginning in September 1949 when it lost its monopoly on the atomic bomb. American intelligence agencies discovered that the Soviet Union had exploded its first atomic bomb with the consequence that the United States potentially could face a future nuclear war that, for the first time, might devastate its cities. Given the new danger, the United States participated in an arms race with the Soviet Union that included development of the hydrogen bomb, as well as intercontinental strategic bombers and intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of delivering nuclear weapons. A new fear of communism and its sympathizers swept the United States during the 1950s, which devolved into paranoid McCarthyism. With communism spreading in China, Korea, and Eastern Europe, Americans came to feel so threatened that popular and political culture condone extensive witch hunts to expose Communist spies. Part of the American reaction to the Soviet atomic and hydrogen bomb tests included maintaining a large air force under control of the Strategic Air Command. SAC employed intercontinental strategic bombers as well as medium bombers based close to Soviet airspace in Western Europe and in Turkey that were capable of delivering nuclear payloads. For its part, the Soviet Union harbored fears of invasion. Having suffered at least 27 million casualties during World War II after being invaded by Nazi Germany in 1941, the Soviet Union was wary of its former ally the United States, which, until late 1949, was the sole possessor of atomic weapons. The United States had used these weapons operationally during World War II and it could use them again against the Soviet Union, laying waste to its cities and military centers. Since the Americans had a much larger air force than the Soviet Union and the United States maintained advanced air bases near Soviet territory, in 1947, Stalin ordered the development of intercontinental ballistic missiles or ICBMs in order to counter the perceived American threat. In 1953, Korolev was given the go-ahead to develop the R-7 rocket, which represented a major advance from the German design. Although some of its components, notably boosters, still resembled the German G-4, The new rocket incorporated stage design, a completely new control system, and a new fuel. It was successfully tested on August 21, 1957, and became the world's first fully operational ICBM the following month. It would later be used to launch the first satellite into space, and derivatives would launch all piloted Soviet spacecraft. The United States had multiple rocket programs divided among the different branches of the American Armed Services, which meant that each force developed its own ICBM program. The Air Force initiated ICBM research in 1945 with the MX-774. However, its funding was canceled and only three partially successful launches were conducted in 1947. In 1951, the Air Force began a new ICBM program called MX 1953, and by 1955, this program was receiving top priority funding. The MX 1593 program evolved to become the Atlas A, with its maiden launch occurring on June 11, 1957, becoming the first successful American ICBM its upgraded version, the Atlas D rocket, would later serve as an operational nuclear ICBM and be used as the orbital launch vehicle for Project Mercury and the remote-controlled Agena target vehicle used in Project Gemini. With the Cold War as an engine for change, in the ideological competition between the United States and the Soviet Union a coherent space policy began to take shape in the United States during the 1950s Korolev would take much inspiration from the competition as well achieving many firsts to counter the possibilities that the United States might prevail. In 1955, with both the United States and the Soviet Union building ballistic missiles that could be utilized to launch objects into space, the starting line was drawn for the space race. In separate announcements, just four days apart, both nations publicly announced that they would launch artificial Earth satellites by 1957 or 1958. On July 29, 1955, James C. Haggerty, President Dwight D. Eisenhower's press secretary, announced that the United States intended to launch small, earth-circling satellites between July 1, 1957 and December 31, 1958 as part of their contribution to the International Geophysical Year. Four days later, at the 6th Congress of the International Astronautical Federation in Copenhagen, scientist Leonid I. Sedov spoke to international reporters at the Soviet Embassy and announced his country's intention to launch a satellite as well in the near future. On August 30, 1955, Korolev managed to get the Soviet Academy of Scientists to create a commission whose purpose was to beat the Americans into Earth orbit. This was the de facto start date for the space race. Initially, President Eisenhower was worried that a satellite passing above a nation at over 100 kilometers or 62 miles might be construed as violating that nation's sovereign airspace. He was concerned that the Soviet Union would accuse the Americans of an illegal overflight thereby scoring a propaganda victory at his expense. Eisenhower and his advisors believed that a nation's airspace sovereignty did not extend into outer space, acknowledged as the Kármán line and he used the 1957-58 International Geophysical Year launches to establish this principle in international law. Eisenhower also feared that he might cause an international incident and be called a warmonger if he were to use military missiles as launchers. Therefore, he selected the untried Naval Research Laboratory's Vanguard rocket which was a research-only booster. This meant that Von Braun's team was not allowed to put a satellite into orbit with their Jupiter-6 rocket because of its intended use as a future military vehicle. On September 20th, 1956, Von Braun and his team did launch a Jupiter C that was capable of putting a satellite into orbit. However, the launch was used only as a suborbital test of nose cone reentry technology. Had von Braun's team been allowed to orbit a satellite in 1956, the space race might have been over before it gained sufficient momentum to yield real benefits. Korolev received word about Von Braun's 1956 Jupiter-C test, but thinking it was a satellite mission that failed, he expedited plans to get his own satellite into orbit. Since his R-7 was substantially more powerful than any of the American boosters, he made sure to take full advantage of this capability by designing Object D as his primary satellite. It was given the designation D to distinguish from the other R-7 payload designations A, B, G, and B which were nuclear weapons payloads. Object D would dwarf the proposed American satellites by having a weight of 1,400 kilograms or 3,100 pounds of which 300 kilograms or 700 pounds would be composed of scientific instruments that would photograph the Earth, take readings on radiation levels, and check on the planet's magnetic field. However, things were not going along well with the design and manufacturing of the satellite. So in February 1957, Korolev sought and received permission from the USSR's Council of Ministers to create a Protishi Sputnik, or simple satellite. The Council also decreed that Object D be postponed until April 1958. The new Sputnik was a shiny spherical ball that would be a much lighter craft weighing 83 kilograms or 185 pounds and having a 58 centimeter or 23 inch diameter. The satellite would not contain the complex instruments that Object D had but it did have two radio transmitters operating on different shortwave frequencies. The ability to detect if a meteoroid were to penetrate its pressure hole and the ability to detect the density of the Earth's thermosphere. Korolev was buoyed by the first successful launches of his R-7 rocket in August and September, paving the way for him to launch his Sputnik. Word came that the Americans were planning to announce a major breakthrough at the International Geophysical Year Conference at the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, D.C. with a paper entitled, Satellite Over the Planet, on October 6, 1957. Korolev's fear was that Von Braun might launch a Jupiter C with a satellite payload on or around the 4th or 5th of October in conjunction with the paper. The fear of being beaten made him hasten the launch, moving it to the 4th of October. The launch vehicle for Sputnik 1 was a modified R-7, without much of test equipment and radio gear that was present in the previous launches. It arrived at the Soviet missile base, Toru in September, and was prepared for its mission at launch site number one. On Friday, October 4, 1957, at exactly 10.28 p.m. Moscow time, the R-7, with the now named Sputnik 1 satellite, lifted off the launch pad and placed this artificial moon into an orbit a few minutes later. But the celebrations were muted at the launch control center until the downrange Far East tracking station at Kamchatka received the first distinctive beep 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 sounds from Sputnik 1's radio transmitter indicating that it was on its way to completing its first orbit. About 95 minutes after launch the satellite flew over its launch site and its radio signals were picked up by engineers and military personnel at Toyota That's when Korolev and his team celebrated the first successful artificial satellite placed into earth orbit. The Soviet success caused public controversy in the United States and Eisenhower ordered the civilian rocket and satellite project Vanguard to move up its timetable and launch its satellite much sooner than originally planned. The December 6, 1957 Project Vanguard launch failure occurred at Cape Canaveral in front of a live broadcast television audience in the United States. Only in the wake of this very public failure did Von Braun's Redstone team get the go-ahead to launch their Jupiter-C rocket as soon as they could. Nearly four months after the launch of the Sputnik 1, Von Braun and the United States successfully launched its first satellite, a modified Redstone booster under the civilian name Juno-1 to differentiate it from the Army's Redstone Missile. Explorer 1 was the first successful American satellite. It was launched as Cape Canaveral at the time on January 31st, 1958. It was 4.8 kilograms in mass and launched on a fourth stage Juno 1 vehicle. It carried a micrometeorite gauge and a gugger Mueller tube. It passed in and out of Earth's encompassing radiation belt with its 360 kilometers by 2500 kilometer orbit. Therefore, saturating the tube's capacity and proving what Dr. James Van Allen, a space scientist at the University of Iowa, had previously only theorized. It not only confirmed his theory, but also brought him fame. The radiation belt is actually now known as the Van Allen radiation belt. This belt consists of a donut-shaped zone of high-level radiation intensity around the Earth above the magnetic equator. Van Allen was also the man who designed and built the satellite instrumentation for Explorer 1. It was because of the previous failure of the Vanguard rocket of December 1957 that scientists made the decision of using military rocket along the successful launch the satellite. The satellite actually measured three phenomena. They are cosmic ray and radiation levels, the temperature in the spacecraft, and finally the frequency of collisions with micro meteorites. The satellite had no space for data storage, though which meant that it had to transmit continuously. A couple of months later, in March 1958, a second satellite was sent into orbit with augmented cosmic rays instruments. By 1959, American observers believed that the Soviet Union would be the first to get a human into space, because of the time needed to prepare for Project Mercury's first launch. On April 12, 1961, the Soviets launched Yuri Gagarin into orbit around the Earth on Vostok 1 they dubbed Gregarian, the first cosmonaut, roughly translated from Russian and Greek as Sailor of the Universe. Although he had the ability to take over manual control of his spacecraft in an emergency, it was flown in the automatic mode as a precaution. Medical science at the time did not know what would happen to a human in the weightlessness of space. Vostok 1 orbited the Earth for 108 minutes and made its re-entry over the Soviet Union with Gagarin ejecting from the spacecraft at 7,000 meters or 23,000 feet and landing by parachute. Under Fédération Aéronautique Internationale, or the International Federation of Aeronautics, FAI qualifying rules for aeronautical records, pilots must both take off and land with their craft. So the Soviets kept the landing procedure secret until 1978, when they finally admitted that Gregarian did not land with his spacecraft. When the fight flight was publicly announced, it was celebrated around the world as a great triumph, not just for the Soviet Union, but for the world itself, though it once again shocked and embarrassed the United States. The United States called their space travelers astronauts, or star sailors from the Greek. And it was three weeks later, on May 5, 1961, when Alan Shepard became the first American in space, launched on a suborbital mission, Mercury Redstone 3, in a spacecraft named Freedom 7. Though he did not achieve orbit, Unlike Gregerian, he was the first person to exercise manual control over his spacecraft attitude and retro-rocket firing. The first Soviet cosmonaut to exercise manual control was Gurman Titov in Vostok 2 in August 6th of 1961. Almost a year after the Soviets put a human into orbit, astronaut John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth on February 20th, 1962. His Mercury Atlas 6 mission completed three orbits in the Friendship 7 spacecraft and splashed down safely in the Atlantic Ocean after a tense re-entry due to what falsely appeared from the telemetry data to be a loose heat shield. On September 12, 1962 at Rice University in Houston, John F. Kennedy, President of the United States of America, brought a whole new dimension to the space race by uttering these words we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept One we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and the others too. It is for these reasons that I regard the decision last year to shift our efforts in space from low to high gear as among the most important decisions that will be made during my incumbency in the office of the Presidency. On April 20th, 1961, about one week after Gargarian's flight, American President John F. Kennedy sent a memo to Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson asking him to look into the state of America's space program and into programs that could offer NASA the opportunity to catch up. Johnson responded about one week later, concluding that the United States needed to do much more to reach a position of leadership. Johnson recommended that a piloted moon landing was far enough in the future that it was likely the United States could achieve it first. On May 25th, Kennedy announced his support for the Apollo program and redefined the ultimate goal of the space race in an address to the special joint sessions of Congress. I believe that a nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. His justification for the moon race was both that it was vital to national security and it would focus the nation's energies in other scientific and social fields. He expressed his reasoning in the famous, we choose to go to the moon speech, near the site of the future Johnson space center your journey is now ending you are now leaving the sapphire planet